Our Lord Jesus, we thank you that you give us grace and hope, forgiveness, new life. Lord, we thank you that, that you, even, even when we were rebelling against you and we were running our own path that was not congruent with God, we thank you that you loved us still. And you came, you came to seek and save the lost. You came to rescue us. You, again, came to give us new life, both here and for eternity. And I pray that as we open Scripture this morning, that you will open our eyes in fresh ways to how to live in that way that honors you. I pray that you will use your word this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit to teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us and train us in righteousness, so that we will all be thoroughly equipped for everything to which you are calling us. So we lift up the rest of this time to you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, every week here at Freedens, we open the Bible together, and we dig into a particular passage of Scripture. And so with that in mind, I invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And as you're turning there, I have a question for you to consider. Do you ever wonder why we focus so much on the Bible here at Freedens Church? Why, why focus on the Bible? Why dig into the Bible every single week? I mean, for me, I read a lot of other books. I mean, up here are a few books I've read relatively recently. There are a lot of interesting books in the stack. I mean, there are books um, about their biographies and history books and adventure books. There are books about cars uh, and bicycling. Uh, there are books about the early church and theology. There's even a, a commentary on the Gospel of Mark up here. There's 52 Little Lessons from Les Miserables. Nice little practical book. I mean, there are all kinds of books here and all kinds of books out there in the world that you've read as well. Why not base sermons on books like this? I mean, there are a lot of fascinating stories in there. A lot of great life application, including 52 Little Lessons from Les Miserables. A lot we could learn from that. Great story. Why not base sermons on, the, on these types of books? I mean, frankly, a lot of people would find that probably a lot more interesting than digging into, into the Bible. So why focus so much on the Bible? Well, that's what we're looking at this morning. And to help illustrate why the Bible is so important, I want to tell a story from one of these other books. It's by an author named Hampton Sides, and it's called In the Kingdom of Ice. And the story is based on an expedition to reach the North Pole in 1879. The subtitle of the book is The Grand and Terrible Polar Voyage of the USS Jeanette. Now, this expedition to reach the North Pole, because no one had actually reached the North Pole yet. They knew it was up there, but no one had actually been there yet. So this expedition to reach the North Pole was actually, and unfortunately, based on a huge misunderstanding. This is a map. It was published in 1872, so seven years prior to this expedition. Now look at the top of this map if you can see it. What's it say up there at the top of the world? Supposed open sea. Let me show you another map. came out around that same time. You again see at the top. This is uh, looking down at the North Pole. Supposed open polar sea. A lot of geographers and scientists at that point thought that there was an open sea up there at the North Pole, that there might be a little bit of ice that you have to get through, but that warm currents that started at the equator worked their way up north and converged around the North Pole, 
and created this nice, open, warm place. That, that there wouldn't be any ice up there. And let me read from this book, that description of what, what they thought it was. It says, The idea widely believed by the world's leading scientists and geographers went like this. The weather wasn't especially cold at the North Pole, at least not in the summer. On the contrary, the dome of the world was covered in a shallow, warm, ice-free sea whose waters could be smoothly sailed, much as one might sail across the Caribbean or the Mediterranean. This tepid Arctic basin teemed with marine life and was quite possibly home to a lost civilization. Cartographers were so sure of its existence that they routinely depicted it on their maps often labeling the top of the globe, matter-of-factly, open polar sea. This is what most people back then believed. It was only, what, 130, 140 years ago? And based on maps like this, the USS Jeanette set out in 1879 to search for the North Pole via that open polar sea. Unfortunately for them, they came upon the reality that these maps are dead wrong. The scientists, the geographers, the map makers were completely in error on this because it's not an open sea up there. It's ice. And they were trying to snake their way through the ice on this expedition as they were snaking their way through it, looking for that open passageway that was promised to them by the geographers and the map makers and the scientists. Their ship got stuck. And over the next two years, 20 of the 28 men on board died. They died, they gave their lives, they lost their lives because they were trusting in a faulty map. And this shows the importance of making sure that the map that we are following in our lives for how we shape our lives, how we live our lives, that the map that we are following is accurate. And that is why the Bible is such an important resource for us. Let me read from us from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, where the Apostle Paul is explaining how the Bible works and what it is. He says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, when I look at the Bible, the Bible is thousand-plus pages long, a lot in here, I believe that this is the single most important sentence in the Bible about the Bible. Because it says that Scripture is the God-given source for trustworthy, transformative truth. It comes, first of all, from God. That's the origin of Scripture. It comes from God. Paul writes, all Scripture is God-breathed. This points to the fact that God is the ultimate author of the Bible. He spoke through human authors using their style and their language, but it is God's message. That is why the Bible is frequently called God's Word. That's why the Bible is completely trustworthy, because it ultimately comes from God. And this divine authorship is why the Bible trumps everything else that can ever be written or said out there. You know, these other books and so many others like them, they contain a lot of helpful, relevant things. They contain a lot of truth. But the truth of other books, the truth of other teachings, are only true and valid insofar as they align with the truth of Scripture. Because the Bible is the final authority when it comes 
to truth. It's, it's also, therefore, a reliable roadmap for guiding and shaping how we live our lives. Now, as we move on in this passage, Paul talks about some of the uses of Scripture. He specifically says that Scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training us in righteousness. Let's walk through those four things. First of all, it's useful for teaching. Teaching is designed to impart knowledge. I mean, you think about a classroom, that students in the classroom receive teaching to improve their knowledge of math or of science or history or art or music, things like that. In the same way, teaching from the Bible helps to equip us with knowledge about God and about ourselves and about the world in which we live and about what God expects of us. The Bible contains the most important truths, the most important knowledge we can ever receive. And it serves to teach us about these things. Paul also says that Scripture is useful for rebuking us. Now, rebukes are not comfortable usually, but they are for a person's good. You think about for a young child who needs to be rebuked about something. Might be, stop, there's a car coming. You don't want your child to get run over. So you rebuke them. You tell them, stop, look both ways before you cross the street. Or how about this? Never, ever throw scissors at your sister. I got rebuked for that when I was a little kid. I had a pretty accurate aim with those sisters, with those scissors at my sister. But that deserved a strong rebuke. Or, you know, as children get a little bit older, uh, maybe in the teenage years, it might be your rebuke of something like, you know, if you keep hanging around with those friends, they're going to get you into trouble. A rebuke, gentle but nonetheless a rebuke, helping to guide them back to the right direction they should be going. That's the purpose of a rebuke. And there are times in our lives when we need to be rebuked as well. When our behavior, our attitude, or our words, or our beliefs don't align with God, we at times need that rebuke. And that's a purpose that Scripture serves. That the Holy Spirit speaks to us through Scripture to rebuke us, to bring us back in the line of the ways of God. So Scripture is useful for teaching us, for rebuking us. It's also useful for correcting us, which means replacing the false ideas with God's truth. And then Paul says that Scripture is useful for training us in righteousness. Now, it's important to understand where righteousness comes from. Righteousness refers to right standing before God. Righteousness does not come from our efforts to put the Bible into practice or to obey God or to work hard on religious or, or moral practices. That is not where righteousness comes from in God's sight. Righteousness in God's sight comes from Jesus and what Jesus did for us on the cross. And he gives us his righteousness when we come to faith in him. And so it's a new identity, a righteous identity, that gives us confident standing before God. That's where righteousness comes from. It's a new identity. But when it says that Scripture trains us in righteousness, Scripture serves then as a source that helps shape our, our, our lives so that our lives are more and more in alignment with our new identity that Christ gives us, our righteous identity. So Scripture then is training us. It's shaping us. Scripture helps us to live in the way that God calls us to live. It gives us a roadmap for life that trumps every other roadmap that might be out there. 
All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so this last statement in verse 17 points to the goal of scripture, which is equipping us for God's purposes. And it says that scripture is crucial for that. The implication is that we cannot be thoroughly equipped for everything God has for us apart from the purpose of Scripture, apart from applying Scripture to our lives. That is how important the Bible is. So the Bible serves as our ultimate trustworthy and transformative truth and roadmap in our lives. It is transformative. That's the idea of teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training, where it's not just head knowledge. It's not just cool stories. There are actually a lot of really, really cool stories in the Bible. It's more than just about knowledge. It's about transforming our lives. And I love the way it's put in our statement of faith here at Freedens. Our, our statement of faith is in alignment with the Evangelical Free Church of America, which we are a part of. Article 2 says this about the Bible. It says, We believe that God has spoken in the Scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors. As the verbally inspired Word of God, the Bible is without error in its original writings. The complete revelation of His, his will for salvation and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. I love that last line particularly. It's to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. It's that roadmap that can guide us safely through life. Doesn't mean that life won't have challenges because we still live in a broken world. But the Bible is the God ordained roadmap that we can trust. Now I want to move on this passage to verses 1 through 5 of chapter 4. In our Bibles, there's a, a, there's a, a, a chapter distinction. You move from chapter 3 to chapter 4. That distinction was not there in Paul's original letter. And, and I think it's helpful to see that, that chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, flows directly from what we've just been looking at. Paul tells Timothy, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn away their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of, of an evangelist, and discharge all the duties of your ministry. So this is written to pastors particularly, but I think it has relevance for all of us. Now, the main point of these five verses is at the beginning of verse 2, when Paul tells Timothy to preach the word. Preach the word. Again, this has primary uh, application to Timothy, a pastor, to me, a pastor. But I think it does have relevance for every single one of us because it's talking about the priority of delivering biblical truth to those whom we influence. And we are all called, if we influence others spiritually in any manner, to deliver biblical truth to those around us. And Paul is serious here. I mean, listen to verse 1. 
how serious he is. He says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. That is a pretty strong uh, call. It's a charge. I mean, it sounds like some sort of official commissioning statement to preach the word. Again, I think that this, this call may look different in each of our lives, but it's a call to all of us nonetheless. Now, maybe you are not up here on a regular basis giving sermons. But if you have spiritual influence in people's lives, if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you ever talk with someone else about Jesus, if you want to pass the baton of the faith on to others, it's imperative that you prioritize delivering biblical truth to the people around you. Let's think about parents for an instance. Deuteronomy chapter 6 makes it very clear that parents have a strong responsibility to pass on biblical truth to their children. Let me read Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be in your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols to your hands and, and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your homes and on your gates. Now, this is obviously a slightly different context. But it's talking about, you know what, pass these commands, you know, biblical truth, on to your children. Be intentional about it. Talk about them all the time. Saying deliver that biblical truth on to the next generation. And one of the things this shows is that if we want to pass that baton well to help others grow in their walk with God, we cannot have a casual relationship with Scripture. We have to prioritize passing on that biblical truth. And this needs to be a greater priority even than helping our children do well in their sports or doing well at school or having fun or being popular. In our lives, this priority of passing on biblical truth to that next generation needs to be more important, a greater priority to us than our success at work or than our hobbies that we are passionate about pursuing. These other things, they're not bad. It's fine to pursue those things as well, but we have to prioritize. I mean, for Paul, he's writing to Timothy in this letter of 2 Timothy. He's preparing him and, and calling him to be increasingly faithful in his ministry. And he points out many other things to do in his ministry in addition to preaching the word. But he says preaching the word, delivering that biblical truth is of primary importance. Do the other things too. Don't neglect those. But make sure you have your priorities straight. And it's the same call for each of us. And why is this important? It's important because people like following alternative paths rather than following God. It's just a part of being human in this broken world, that we all have this sinful nature that causes us to want to be autonomous, to do things our way. In verses 3 and 4, Paul says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. So first of all, in verse 3, Paul says that to suit their own desires, they turn away to these other paths. It points to how inherently self-centered we are. Every one of us, because of sin, has a natural inclination to turn inwardly to do what we want to do 
rather than what God wants us to do. A part of, of growing as a follower of Jesus is being transformed from the inside out so that we're no longer living for ourselves and our own desires, but living for what God desires, following his roadmap. But to suit their own desires, they're going to follow all kinds of faulty maps that lead them away from God. A very popular faulty map in our culture is the American dream and various, various forms of it, usually associated with, with accomplishments, with various material success, with popularity. This is probably the most common roadmap that people in our society are trained to follow. Not trained from Scripture, but trained from just being a part of our society. That's a common roadmap. There are other, other roadmaps, maybe even cross-cultural or countercultural roadmaps that, that may go against the grain of what's popular in society, but it's a roadmap nonetheless. People like following all kinds of different roadmaps. They like setting their own map rather than submitting to God's roadmap. And what happens is people do this, once they choose a map they want to follow, whether consciously or unconsciously, they naturally begin to surround themselves by people who will reinforce that map of what they're following. That's why Paul says that, that um, they want to suit their own desires and they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. It's just a natural human phenomenon. We all do this to varying degrees of wanting to be surrounded by people who support us, who reinforce what we already believe. The problem is, if we're going down a bad direction, we then may not be, have open ears to hear, hey, you need to repent, you need to turn back the other direction, turn back to God. But again, people do this all the time. I'm just gathering around them people who reinforce what they already believe. I mean, think about it politically. If people politically lean to the left, where do they typically go for their news? Maybe things like CNN, things that will support their, their current political views for the most part. And when they're involved in social media, their activity on social media creates algorithms that will continue to feed them more and more content that supports what they already believe. It's the same on the other side of the political aisle. Those who lean politically right generally will be getting their uh, news and their updates from more politically conservative news outlets like Fox News. So it reinforces things they already believe. And then as they're involved in social media and internet searches, it creates algorithms that continues to feed them more and more content that, that suits and reinforces what they already believe politically as well. It's just a natural human tendency. I mean, let's apply this to churches. As people are considering what church to attend or to be involved with, oftentimes they choose a church that fits what their preconceived ideas are theologically. I think, for instance, of a church that um, I, I saw an ad um, a few years ago. My wife and I were attending an Ozaki Chorus concert, and beforehand we were flipping through that little pamphlet. We came across an ad for a church down in Grafton. I, I um, want to show you a picture of that ad. It, I blacked out the names and the identification for this church. But I want to read you what the, what the ad says. It says, we live in a big, beautiful world. And that, this church here in Grafton, we go beyond tolerance and embrace the rich tapestry of religions and cultures. Please join us for worship. And you have this picture up here. You have the cross there representing Christianity, but it's in the midst of a whole lot of other religious and spiritual symbols. What type of people do you think this ad is trying to appeal to? 
Probably trying to appeal to people who, who want a more religiously open perspective, saying, you know what, all these religions are true. Christianity is true, but all these others are true as well. I will say that does not align with what's in Scripture. But people are, are frequently drawn to this type of church that, that may have these other types of viewpoints about how you get salvation or other viewpoints on various moral issues or even on the authority of Scripture. People are drawn to that because it suits what's already made up in their mind. The issue is that, that, that this type of teaching is not based on Scripture. And so we need to keep bringing people back to Scripture. That's why Paul tells Timothy and he tells, calls uh, pastors like me and calls all of us to make sure that we are faithful to Scripture and then are delivering biblical truth to those around us. Because otherwise... We, we just keep reinforcing and we allow others to keep reinforcing erroneous views about the roadmap of life. But God offers us something better. And what people need is Scripture to center them on God's truth, to call people back to God's truth. There is a truth out there. The question is, when and how will we align ourselves to God's truth? There are many different ways that could happen. For some people, they will not really be aligned to God's truth until they meet Jesus face to face in the final judgment. And it says that that day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They will align themselves to truth at that point, but not willingly. The hope, though, is that we align ourselves to God's truth before then. And sometimes that happens just through coming to the end of ourselves and just maybe having a metaphorical or literal shipwreck. And it leads us to a new understanding of what reality is. I think back to this book, In the Kingdom of Ice. Wherever it is, it's over here now. It's In the Kingdom of Ice. As these men are on the ship and they're trapped in this ice and they're, they're looking at the stars in terms of um, just kind of gauging where are we and the flow of the ice, they began to come to this realization that there is no polar, ice, polar, open polar sea. There is no passageway created by these warm currents coming from the equator. And a pivotal statement in this book says that the Jeanette expedition had thus began to shed its organizing ideas and all their unfounded romance and to replace them with a reckoning of the way the Arctic truly was. You see, they had a misperception of the way that the, the, the globe was around the North Pole. It attracted them up there. It's what caused them to go to the North Pole, but they were wrong. They, they had incomplete data. They were following a false map, and now as they're stuck there in the ice, they had to come face to face with the truth of the Arctic. It is ice. So they had to reorient their perspective around what they came to find out was true. And for us, we may have those times in our lives where we come to the end of ourselves and we just realize, you know what? The map I'm following is a faulty map. I mean, that was partly for me what led to my change in life. I was almost 20 years old in college and I remember sitting at my desk in my dorm room one day and just, I was struggling with calculus too. Um, I was failing calculus too. And uh, frankly, up to that point, I had always done very well in school. School came easily to me. And here I am failing a class in college. 
And I remember setting up my desk thinking, man, I'm about to fail this class in college. And if I fail this class, um, that's the first step towards failing in college. And if I fail in college, does that mean I'm a failure in life? Because college was my life at that point. And I know that's kind of grim thinking, but those are the things that go through your mind when you come to the end of yourself, when you're facing a struggle that maybe you've never faced before. And then about two weeks later is when a friend from my speech class stopped by my dorm room and began talking with me about spiritual things and about Jesus. And that was the turning point in my life. It required the injection of biblical truth into my life through a friend delivering that to me. But it also required me coming to the end of myself and realizing, you know what? There's a truth out there, and I'm not aligned with that truth right now. I need to come to the end of myself and turn to the truth that God has delivered us through the Bible and through Jesus. That's a point that we need to come to. Now, hopefully, it doesn't require a shipwreck or being stuck in ice in the North Pole or or some huge crisis. The ideal is that we can recognize what is true and choose to align our lives around that. There's an amazing uh, verse in Acts chapter 17. Paul is going on his missionary journeys uh, through, through central Greece at this point, and he comes to the city called Berea. And it says that the Bereans were of noble character. It's Acts 17, 11. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So they received Paul's message, his teaching, and then they compared it with scripture. They opened scripture to see, is what Paul's saying true? Because remember, we might have a lot of truth coming from other sources. I mean, there's a lot of truth in here, even from a commentary on the Gospel of Mark. Good truth. But this is not authoritative in the same way that Bible, the Bible is. The Bible is God's authoritative truth. And everything else is true only insofar as it aligns with God's truth. But, so this is the ideal way, is that we take what we are hearing and we look at Scripture and see, okay, does this align with Scripture? Then yes, I'll accept that and I'll follow that. Or, no, nah, not, not quite. I need to follow what Scripture says. Because people need Scripture to center them on God's truth. Now, this is all a big deal. It really is. It's, it's in many ways a matter of life and death, particularly eternally, but we already saw that with that USS Jeanette, what happens if people are following faulty maps here in this life? It leads to all kinds of problems here as well. Remember how serious Paul was in verse 1 of chapter 4. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. That's how serious it is. He says, there will be accountability that all of us will appear before the throne of God one day. Even if there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which is true, we still have to give an account of how we stewarded our lives, whether we are faithful to the call God gave to us. It's not a, it's not a judgment that is the basis of salvation, but it, it, we are still called to be faithful to what God calls us to. And also, Paul reminds us that Christ will return and will one day set up his kingdom a kingdom where he will rule, a kingdom of peace, of life, of joy, but he will be the Lord. It's important that we align our lives and help others align their lives around the truth of God's lordship and his kingdom here and now so that we will be ready when we meet Jesus. So let's talk for just a minute in closing about delivering biblical truth to those around us. 
How do we apply this to our lives? First of all, in terms of delivering biblical truth, we need to personally decide what we believe about Scripture. Do we truly believe that all Scripture is God-breathed? That it's the Word of God that comes from Him that is the final authority on everything? Because again, we cannot be flippant about our beliefs about Scripture if we really want to pass that baton well to others. If you aren't sure what your beliefs are about Scripture, I want to challenge you to really dig into that topic. If you want resources, if you want to talk with someone, by all means, give me a call, stop by church, give me an email. I'd love to talk personally with you or point you to resources that can be of assistance. Because we need to be convinced that Scripture is important. And then, once we are convinced of its authority in our lives and of its relevance as a roadmap for our lives, then we need to let Scripture transform us. That's the second thing about delivering biblical truth. Transformation starts with us. So, you know, Scripture is kind of like a piece of exercise equipment. How many of you have a piece of exercise equipment at home that does not get used? Raise your hand. How many of you have a gym membership that you rarely, if ever, use? Not as many. But you know what? A gym membership, piece of exercise equipment, it can be very helpful, but it has to be used. It's the same thing with the Bible. That if you have a Bible, it's not going to be of much use for you, for you. It's not going to transform you if you aren't actually using it. You need to get the Bible into your life. A very practical way to do that is to read the Bible on a regular basis. You know, ideally daily or most, almost daily. If you are not currently do that, but doing that but would like to start, a great place to start is, say, start in the book of Matthew. Start in the New Testament. Read as much as you want to read today. You know, a chapter, a few chapters. And then tomorrow, pick up where you left off today. And just keep doing that till you finish, say, the book of Matthew. And then read the next book and the next one. By getting in the Scripture on a regular, ongoing basis, and then applying what you're reading, it can transform you from the inside out. If we want to run well in this race of faith, if we want to finish this race well, if we want to pass that baton well on to others, we cannot have a casual relationship with Scripture. We must take it seriously and let it transform us. And then... As we are interacting with others, we must be intentional to bring Scripture into discipling others. I think about parenting with little kids. You know, a key from even a young age is read the Bible with them. Reading with kids is a great thing. Reading the Bible is a way to get the Bible into their lives from a young age. You look at Timothy. Paul said in chapter 3, verse 15 of 2 Timothy, he said, You know how from infancy... You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. From infancy, we know that he had a mother who invested in him spiritually. She passed the baton to him. We see it in Acts chapter 16. We see it in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, that, or 2 Timothy 1, 5, that, that his mother was intentional in investing in his spiritual growth from infancy from when he was a baby. And one of the things she was doing was reading scriptures with him, pointing him to the truth of the Bible. And as our children grow, hopefully we will keep pointing them to the truth of scripture. I think of how even this week, uh, my daughter Tehillah brought me the Jesus Storybook Bible and asked me to read it to her. It was very gratifying, even more gratifying when she knows the stories very well and she's, she's filling them in as we go. And then, then that night, her brother wanted to take Jesus Storybook Bible into his room, and thankfully I, I smuggled it up there so that she wouldn't get upset because then they would have had a fight over who gets to keep the Jesus Storybook Bible in their room. And the next morning we brought it back. Anyway, you know what? If you're going to fight, might as well fight about who gets to read the Bible. 
That's a great thing. We, we want to be raising people to be men and women of Scripture, to get the Word into their lives. And if you're discipling someone who's maybe a bit older, who's not your, not your child, but you're seeking to pass that baton on to them, make sure the Bible is irrelevant and a key part of your relationship with them as well. Read Scripture together. Study Scripture together. Because Scripture is God's roadmap that can transform us and lead us to where God wants us to go. We have to remember that our culture, it will try to sell us all kinds of roadmaps. But they are faulty maps. They may have some degree of truth in them, but ultimately at the end of the day, they're faulty maps that will not lead us to eternal life. They will probably lead us to a lot of challenges in this life as well. They may be very alluring, but they don't lead to life. God gives us the roadmap in Scripture that leads to life. I don't know about you, but I want to be following the truth in my life. I don't want to be living my life based on a lie. I want to follow what is true. So I pray that each one of us have that same heart, that that we are taking Scripture seriously, that we're not casual in our relationship with Scripture, but we're taking it seriously, that, that God will be transforming us from the inside out through His Word, and that we will be intentional to pass that baton on to others. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you give us your written word. And that it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training us in righteousness so that we'll be thoroughly equipped for every good work to which you call us. Lord, I pray that you will do a work in our hearts to help us each take the Bible more and more seriously. That we will love your word. That we will cherish reading it, even though there are times where it might be a bit laborious, even though there are times where our hearts may be drawn to other things to read or other things to do, Lord. I pray that we will still be intentional to make Scripture a central part of our lives, that we will pass on biblical truths to those around us, and that we will be ready when we meet you face to face, and that we will be able to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.